Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. There's a lot of you here, I'll tell you that. In fact, um, and you all look so Christmassy tonight. Whatever that means. There's reds and greens and silvers. You all look great. And over in the hub, the hub is completely packed, and we've opened the overflow on the other side, and that's fall. And why not? We have every reason to celebrate tonight. Our King, Jesus Christ, was born into this world 2,000 years ago. Whether the scholars want to debate it being December 25th or not, we don't care when, we care that He came for us. Isaiah was predicting this event, and he said in the ninth chapter, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. One of the Christmas traditions has been now for a long time to string lights up on trees, uh, to put lights up on homes. You see it in your neighborhoods. You see it here. You see it outside when the sun's down on some of the trees we put out. And that is a long, long tradition. It goes back, as far as we can tell, at least to the 16th century, when Martin Luther, who was one of the first churchmen to put a Christmas tree inside of his home, put little candles on his Christmas tree and used it as an object lesson for his kids. He said to his children, the Christmas tree is to remind you of the birth of Jesus. The lights on the Christmas tree are to remind you that this world that we live in is absolutely in darkness without the light of Jesus Christ. Then also in the 16th century, the tradition came from Spain. There were little bonfires that lined the road in churchyards and along paths of the town called luminarias, and we still have them with us. They were to light the way, light the path, speak of the light of Christ. The display that takes the cake, however, as far as I can tell, is in a little town, a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, about 20 miles south, called Franklin, Tennessee. There is a display that the New York Times calls the granddaddy of all digital light displays in America. Uh, This guy decided, and I was on his website earlier today, to string up 96,790 miniature Christmas lights or 7.2 miles of wire to connect everything together, 110 strobe lights, several 8-foot inflatable snowmen, one 8-foot inflatable Santa Claus, one Santa in a helicopter. That's a new one a four-horse carousel, a gingerbread house, 33 reindeer, two crying snowmen, 
all handled by 425 computer-controlled circuits. Well, I got out the map of how to get to this place, not that I was going to drive there after the service, but I just wanted to, to look at their literature, and it said, just go south and you'll see the glow. You'll see it in the sky. The people of Franklin, Tennessee, have seen a great light. Almost 97,000 of them. But the light of Jesus Christ that shines inwardly and changes us totally and completely is the one we speak of and celebrate this season. The light has come into the world. As Isaiah predicted here, He said, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah was predicting that this area in northern Israel, the northeastern part of Israel, that was the first to see the Assyrian captivity. Some of you know that around 722 B.C. the Assyrians came and and swooped down taking captive the northern parts of the land of Israel. They occupied the north. And that would be under a time of oppression and darkness, as they called it, doom. And out of that very place where the Assyrians would come in and take the northern parts captive, that area would become the first area of Israel to hear the preaching of Jesus Christ. A few verses later, this Messiah king is described in verses 6 and 7. When Jesus did come on the scene, Matthew quotes this very verse that we read, those two verses. And he says, A great light has dawned. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. It's Jesus. He has always been called that. In fact, when he was born, Simeon, who was in the temple when Jesus was there to be dedicated, said in prayer, Lord, now I can depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. History is one continuous long story of darkness and sin and depravity. Year after year, generation after generation, century after century, millennium after millennium is darkness War, heartache, death, famine. Into that kind of a world stepped a person called the light. In fact, if somebody commissioned me to paint a picture of world history, I'm not a good artist, so this would be easy. If they commissioned me, I would simply get black paint, the blackest I could find, get a canvas and dump the whole gallon of paint on the canvas and just soak it and make it completely black, I would hang that up as the history of the world. And then out of one little corner, I would draw a light streak that would diffuse and get brighter and spread more as time went on. And that would be the entrance of Christ. For it says in the Gospels, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend it. So in the midst of a world, in the midst of a generation, in the midst of a people, peoples darkened by sin and depravity came the light of the world. So that we could see our way out of darkness into His light.
There was a Christmas play one year. I don't know if any of you grew up doing this, but I certainly did. I was always in the Christmas play. I loved being in that thing. I wanted to be a shepherd or Joseph or, or, or something like that. But one year, not in my Christmas play, but in another one, they put a light bulb in the straw right behind baby Jesus. And, and on cue, all of the lights were to go out except for that bright light bulb showing that Jesus lights up the dark world. Well, the kid running the lights didn't get his cues right, and he just shut all the lights off. It was pitch black, and then one of the kids finally yelled, Hey, Tommy, you switched Jesus off. (laughs) What that little boy said was so prophetic. Every year, people turn on the Christmas lights, and they turn off the light of the world. Hey, you switched Jesus off. On September 11th, a dark cloud settled over our world. We know it. We know it's different. We're aware of it in a whole different kind of a way, the evil possibility of mankind. Literally, a a dark cloud settled over the city of New York. Smoke just covered it. I was there. I saw the pulverized cement as well as the broken hearts. A cloud settled over our nation, metaphorically, spiritually speaking. And people want so desperately the light. They showed that on that day as people cried out in prayer. They sang, God bless America, and we got more patriotic, but we also got suddenly spiritual. Some of you remember that, that very next week, churches all over the country were packed again for a week or two. We suddenly realize our need for God. And of course, at Christmas time, people often more than usual come out, and we're excited for that. It's a time to celebrate. It's because we know life is not complete, life is dark, life gets pretty dreary without something that gives us meaning and hope. There was a guy who lost his keys. He went out under the street light. It was dark out in front of the house and he was looking for his keys. His neighbor came by and saw him doing this. Decided to help out. After several minutes of fruitless searching, his friend said, Now exactly where did you drop your keys? The man said, I dropped him in the garage. In the garage? And what are we doing out here on the street looking for him? The guy said, Well, the light's better out here. You know what? I have a hunch that the reason a lot of people came to church after September 11th and come to church on Christmas more than usual is because the light's better around here. You're searching. You don't exactly know what it is you want yet, but you just have a hunch that the light's better here. You're around people who act like they have a reason to live. They do. They act like they're fulfilled. They are. The light is way better. Jesus said this, and it is your promise if you'd like it to be that. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. If you follow Jesus Christ, you will live an enlightened life. How? 
Well, you know, in the Bible, the term light is used in a number of different ways. First of all, physically, it speaks of God's glory. God's glory. Light is pure. Light is brilliant. Light cuts through the darkness. And and it seems that wherever God shows up in the Bible, He is accompanied by light. The very first words recorded in the Bible that God ever said, as there was darkness over the face of the earth, is, Let there be light. And light was. He created it. In the very next book of the Bible, a whole group of people are marching through the desert, the children of Israel, on the way to a promised land. And what was accompanying them but a pillar of fire and a light-emitting cloud, a luminous cloud called the Shekinah glory. There was light. We enjoy the sunrise, the sunset, the stars at night because the heavens declare the glory of God. Light speaks of glory, the glory of God. And we read, if you go way ahead in history, to the kingdom age and the new Jerusalem, it says there will be no need of sun or moon to light it, for the glory of God will enlighten it, and the Lamb is its light. When people saw Jesus, when he came to the earth, they knew something was different about him, and they discovered that this man came to bring light to them, to enlighten them. They were attracted to the light. John said, The Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And we know that's true even still. No one has influenced the world like Jesus. Not Socrates, not Plato, not Aristotle, not Bill Gates. In three years, three and a half years of ministry, Jesus influenced the world, and that influence continues and dominoes through history than all of those other previously mentioned men put together. Just three and a half years. Jesus wasn't a great artist. He wasn't a great poet. He wasn't an author. Yet more authors and more musicians and more poets have described him as some of the greatest who ever lived because of the influence that Jesus had. So when we speak of Jesus being the light, we speak of the glory of Jesus. And for you to walk in the light means you live to glorify Him. By the way, When you do that, seriously, if you make your number one objective in life to glorify Christ, it settles one of the biggest issues, one of the biggest questions that everyone asks, which is, why am I here? Why do I exist? Revelation 4 says, for your pleasure we exist and we're created. So when you come to terms with that, I live to bring Him glory, this light of the world. It settles that huge question, why I'm here. So, light speaks of glory physically. Second of all, light speaks of knowledge. Knowledge, intellectually. There was a time in our history called the Dark Ages, followed by the Age of Enlightenment, because they said people were getting smarter. Well, God said that He was the light. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. Meaning, God is the ultimate knower. He knows everything. He doesn't learn stuff. He never had to go to school. He doesn't watch you or watch world events and say, Wow! Now that's novel. 
He doesn't have to. He's omniscient. And because he's omniscient, he's never impressed with inventions or PhDs or high IQs because God's IQ is higher than anyone's. He knows it all. In the early days uh, of the automobile, there was a Model T Ford. Most of us have only seen them in car shows. It was parked by the side of the road. The hood was opened. A man was desperately trying to get it started again. He was cranking it, checking the oil, cranking it, advancing the spark, cranking it. wouldn't work. A chauffeur limousine pulled up, stopped. well-dressed man came out and said, Hey, can I help you? Which is kind of an odd thing. The man was desperate. Sure, go ahead. So the well-dressed man looked under the hood, adjusted something, and said, Try it. Started right up. And the man introduced himself as Henry Ford. He said, Look, I designed and built these cars. I know what to do when they go wrong. God built us. God created the world. Yes, it's marred by sin. Yes, it is stained over time by depravity. But because He made us and because He designed this world, He knows how to fix it. He knows all. So to walk in the light is not only to walk living for the glory of God, but to have a relationship with the all-knowing God, all-seeing God. And I'll tell you what, when you realize that about God, you live differently. You don't hide stuff from God. Lewis Ferry Schaefer put it this way, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. It's a whole new perspective on secrecy. Imagine how some of the people felt when Jesus came into the room and the Bible says, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, and he would say something in response, not to what they said, but to what they were thinking. They thought, how do you know that? Because he was completely enlightened. Third, morally, light speaks of holiness. Holiness. What color is a wedding dress for a woman? White, not black. (laughs) It would be an interesting wedding if it were black. Some might opt for it, but it speaks of purity. In the old movies, what did the good guys wear? What color were their hats? White, against the black-hatted guys. It was just a, a, a metaphor. It spoke of purity, holiness. 1 Timothy 6 describes God as God who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. That is, He is pure, He is righteous, He has no flaws, there is no deceit in His character. Whereas darkness in the Scripture speaks of sin and wickedness and ignorance of God and the way we used to live before we came to Christ. Ephesians 5, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Peter said much the same thing. Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And what are demons called in the Bible? Rulers of the darkness of this world. So when you come to Jesus, you step into the light, the sunlight, S-O-N light, out of darkness. John Newton knew it. He was a drunken sailor who came to Christ in the 1700s. The first song he wrote is the song we still sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. 
but now I see. That's the job of the devil. He blinds people. He keeps people away from the light. He says, you don't need Jesus. Just, just be religious every now and then when there's a crisis, when there's a holiday. Jesus says, step into the light. Live in the light all year long. So it speaks of the glory of God. It speaks of the knowledge of God. It speaks of the holiness of God. Which means when you follow Jesus, you step into the light. You live to glorify Him. You have a relationship with the one who knows all. So you live differently because you know He knows and sees everything. And then finally, you live in holiness. You don't want to live a hidden life any longer. You want to bring it all out into the light, have it exposed and and forgiven And there's no better way to live. So, yes, you can hang 97,000 small Christmas lights and and set your neighborhood aglow. Or, or I would say and, if you want to do that, come and have a relationship with the light of the world and set your life aglow, your heart aglow, and eventually your family aglow and your business aglow with the light of this world. Robert Louis Stevenson, when he was a little boy, used to love to look out the window and see the lamplighters in Edinburgh, Scotland, torch up the night. They would open the little gate, the glass, and they would light a lantern and go to the next one. One night he was looking out and he saw the lamplighter and he said to his father, Daddy, look, they're punching holes in the darkness. That's what Jesus does. He punches holes in the darkness. I have a hunch that the Holy Spirit wants to do that for some this Christmas. To have you step into the sunlight, S-O-N light. Have him rid you of the darkness and enjoy his marvelous light. Would you bow your head for just a moment? We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we now know, maybe more than ever before in the last several years, that we live in a world that isn't getting better and better, peachier and peachier, more wonderful each day, It is still, in many cases, unenlightened in darkness, not because of ignorance of knowledge as much as ignorance of God. Ignorance of forgiveness. We have turned off the light of the world. Since September, our nation has realized, I can't do that. I need God. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than us. This is bigger than even what our nation can handle. There are certain things that cannot be solved militarily or economically, but must be solved spiritually. That's the way you made us. You created us as spiritual entities that can only be satisfied with spiritual stuff, spiritual truth, light. We string up the lights, Lord, in honor of the light of the world who has come. I pray, Lord, that we will not have these lights hypocritically while we ourselves walk and live in darkness. And Lord, would you just in this place, this family setting, deliver some from the power of darkness tonight? Bring the light of the world to shine not only on their tree, but in their own heart. 
May some who have come step out of darkness and step into the light, living to glorify you, living knowing that you see everything, living in holiness and purity as you cleanse their life. Before we end our service tonight, as we bow in prayer, we're not going to have you come forward for obvious reasons. This is like a sardine can. But if you have come tonight, you're in the overflow or you're in this auditorium. If you want to make Jesus Christ seriously the center of your life, you're willing to turn from whatever darkness is flooding you and, and step into the light of His love and glory. Have your sins forgiven. And I'm ta- not talking about a, a, a ritualistic experience. I'm not even talking about church. I'm talking about a living relationship with the living being, Jesus Christ. If you want that, if you want to have your sins forgiven and have peace and hope and purpose for living, if you want that, raise your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lead you right where you are in a prayer. And then tell you what to do next. Just raise your hand up. God bless you. Several of you around this auditorium. Right over here on the side and toward the back, in the middle. Lord, thank you for these honest ones who in a crowd would raise a hand like somebody saying, I'm drowning, help me. I need more, help me. You love that kind of humility. You love it, Lord. You honor it. Lord, as these turn their life over to you, I pray that they would experience everything you promised. So where you're sitting tonight, in this auditorium, or over in the hub, or in the other overflow, I want you to say a prayer right now where you're at. Just say, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. I step into his light. I turn from my darkness. I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. And I pray you'd help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You might think, well, that wasn't much of a prayer. It doesn't matter. What matters is not, oh, Lord, lofty one lifted up. What really matters is just the honesty of your heart saying, Lord, take my life. You know what I need. I know I need you. That simple faith bonds you to him. If you did pray that, I would encourage you as we all orderly get up and leave and nicely drive through the parking lot and hug people on the way out that if you prayed that prayer, if you raised your hand, that at the end of this service you would just quickly come to the front and we're going to give you something and explain what it is to follow Jesus. That is more than once a year at Christmas. We want to explain that to you.